What's up, Metro? How you guys doing? Hey, I just want to say welcome to Metro City. We're so glad to have you guys here. And specifically to you that are watching on video, I am so glad that you decided to come here this, this weekend and join us. Uh, my name is DJ, and I am one of the pastors here. And I am honored to stand here before you tonight. Uh, we have been in a series over the last few weeks, if you've been here, called Old School. Uh, incredible series, just journeying through the Bible book by book, and right now we're in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, and as you know, uh, around here at Metro, we love this series. We have been getting so much feedback, it's been awesome. Um, and another thing that we know is that Pastor Jay loves this series. And so I just want to just start out tonight saying, and that I am so excited that I get the opportunity to squeeze in here. Pastor Jay is with us this weekend. He didn't have to let me preach, but he asked me to, and I'm honored to do it, and I hope tonight uh, to just encourage you in your faith in an awesome way. So why don't we do this? Let's pray, and then we'll jump into our message. God, I thank you for every single person that is here today. I pray that as we open your word as we study, as we look at Jeremiah and his life and the things that he taught to your people, I ask tonight that you would speak to each of us. I ask, I ask that each of us would hear your voice, uh, whether for the first time or uh, maybe a, a relighting of a passion in our heart, but let us hear you today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So if you've been tracking with us on this series in Jeremiah and Old School, you know that we are at a place with, with the book of Jeremiah where Jeremiah was this prophet. He was this messenger from God that God had given a mission to go and preach to people who didn't want to hear what he had to say. Have you ever talked to someone who didn't want to hear what you had to say? Okay, cool. So, you know, I was trying to think through times in my life when I have been in a place like Jeremiah where I could be talking to someone and they just aren't hearing or don't want to hear what I had to say. And I was thinking about as I was coming up and learning what it means to be a pastor and coming up in ministry, part of my ministry training was I got to go do prison ministry. Now, prison ministry is awesome because you always have a captive audience. Okay, okay, sorry, forgive me. I don't mean to offend anybody. Uh, okay, uh, anyways, I shouldn't have said that. So, but, but it's true. They're always there. They can't escape, right? And so I would go into these prisons and a team of us would go in and we'd spend times preaching and, and leading worship. And there was this one particular night that I stepped up to the keyboard to lead worship. And I know what you're thinking. I didn't know that DJ played keyboards. Listen, listen, Metro, here's the thing. You don't know a lot about me yet, but you will find out. But I'm saving, I'm saving some of these hidden talents that I have <laughs> for salary negotiations, all right? So just keep that to yourself and don't tell the elders. But anyways, um, I was stepping up to play keys. And I, I am a basic keyboard player. Uh, I, basic, I mean, I, I know how to play like a few chords, so I could never do this kind of stuff up here. And so I start playing these probably kind of choppy type songs, and, and I'm ready to lead these men in worship. But did I mention it was a prison, not a county jail? 
It was a prison, and these guys were massive dudes. You know what I mean? Like, oh, kind of dudes with tattoos up and down their arms. I mean, they could have squashed me like a pancake. And here I am, this little, you know, suburb boy coming in to do a little ministry. And, you know, at this point in my life, I'm, I'm hanging out with these people who had, who had murdered people and robbed banks. And, 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 like, my biggest thing at that point was probably lying to my mom about being at church when I was supposed to do my homework. And, but I'm going to come, and I'm going to serve these people. And so I step up. And I start playing the song, and I'll never forget what I saw. Because I looked out across these prisoners, and it was like this. I dare you to make me worship. And I thought, well, this is very interesting. But I think in those 20 minutes, I learned more about the life of Jeremiah than I ever have in my life. Because the prophet Jeremiah was sent by God into the the people of God to be their messenger, to proclaim what God told him to say, even when he didn't want to say it and they didn't want to hear it. That is a tough calling. That is a hard place to be. But as we have learned over the last few weeks, the beauty in the book of Jeremiah is this. Even in dark places, God is still near. And he is still with you. And I just want to say at the beginning tonight, if you're here and you're in a dark place or you've come through a dark place in your life, God is with you. And I hope by the end of this message that you will be so convinced that he is with you, he is for you, and I hope that you will be fired up to live for him. And so tonight, I want to turn over to Jeremiah chapter 2. If you've got your Bible, you want to grab that out. We're going to go to Jeremiah chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can pull it up. Just Google Jeremiah 2. Or uh, listen, if you don't have an app for the Bible, YouVersion is a great app to download and just have the Bible with you all the time. But I want to start looking at Jeremiah chapter 2, and we're going to jump through a few verses tonight. Um, But I want to see what we can pull out about what Jeremiah is saying in chapter 2. It says, the word of the Lord came to me and proclaimed in the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride, you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Now, I want to stop right there for a minute because I want to begin with a question tonight. And I want to talk to you on the topic of moving from a place of passion, uh, I'm sorry, to a place of passivity, to a place of passionate. I want to talk to us about what it means to live a passionate life for God, a devoted life, a life that says no to passivity and lives on fire passive, passionately after God. And what Jeremiah and God is saying through Jeremiah right here is, I remember a time when you were passionately in love with me. And my question is, have any of you ever had a time where you were passionate about something? Do you remember your youth and how the smallest things would make you so excited? I have a three-year-old son, and and my three-year-old, if I pick him up from preschool and tell him, I've got a surprise for you, and I take him home, he comes in the house, this happened yesterday, he walks in the house, and I said, Weston, I've got a surprise, and he goes, what's my pies? And I said, a sucker, and you would have thought I just bought him the whole world. One little Tootsie Roll sucker meant everything to him because in his youth, he is passionate about everything. It doesn't matter what it is. Maybe you remember the first time you got a new car. 
Maybe it wasn't even brand new, but it was new to you. And you got that thing, and man, you wax that sucker. I mean, you're out there in the morning trying to wax it, and you're getting your little crevice tool vacuum. It's like, it's like cleaning it all up so that when you drive down the road here on Dream Cruise Weekend, you can be like, yeah, look at my little Ford Escort station wagon. Oh, wait, that was just me. But anyways, uh, look at my cool car. Ford Escort station wagon, right? And, and really, if we're honest, we spent more time detailing our car in our teenage years than we take cleaning our house today. Because we were passionate about that car. Maybe you're a sports uh, player and, and, and you played football or you ran track or, or, or you, were, you were in some kind of sport activity. You were so passionate after it that in high school, you would get up at 4 a.m. to go condition for that night's game. Why? Because you were passionate. Maybe for you, it was a relationship. Maybe it was that girl you met, and all of a sudden, you got those butterflies inside, and you're just like, oh, man, I will do anything. I'll do anything to get this girl. What do I got to do to get this girl? How's it going to work? Uh, that's how it was for me. When I met my wife, Kelsey, uh, if you haven't met Kelsey yet, you will. She's hot. She's gorgeous. She's amazing. I love her. I, like, she's, just, she's just awesome, okay? So I meet this girl, and we go on a date. And um, I don't tell this a lot, but, you know, we're, we're getting to know each other. So I'm going to let you guys know on this. She bought my food on our first date because that's how broke I was. And so she swiped me in the cafeteria at school. And uh, anyway, so we go on this first date, and we talked for five hours. Five hours we talked on this date, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I leave that date, and I am like, oh, I am in love with this girl. Like, I am going to marry this girl. This girl is amazing. We talked. We talked for five whole hours, and she went back to her roommate, and she said, I will never marry an extrovert. <laughs> because he talked for five hours. <laughs> but anyways, I was passionately in love with this girl, and, and, and then after that date, she left to go on a five-week missions trip to Africa. She was gone for over a month. I am passionately in love. I mean, like, the butterflies. I mean, like, I'm going to marry you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you in love with this girl. And she left me and went to Africa for a month. So I thought, well, I am going to show her how devoted to her I am. And I went to Walmart, and I bought some journal paper, and I journaled to her every day that she was gone. She comes back from Africa. Listen to this. This just gets better. She comes back from Africa, and we meet up. And little did I know, even though I was an extrovert, and I never shut up, and I kept on talking, something inside of her fell in love with me, and she journaled to me the whole time she was in Africa. Oh, I know. I know. Knock it off. I know. She came back from Africa, and I handed her my journal, and she, she handed me her journal, and I was like, oh, this is it. This is the one. Okay, so, so it doesn't end there. So then... It's summertime. She's working at a summer camp, so I could only see her on the weekends. And I thought, how do I make sure she knows how much I love her after these three weeks already? How devoted I am to her. How do I make her know? And I went to these stores. I didn't even know they had these kind of stores. This store was like a paper store. Not like printer paper, but like fancy paper, like cost you a week's salary to buy some paper store. And I bought this paper, and it had rose petals embedded into the paper. Yeah, you know. And so I took that home, and I cut those papers into hearts. Now, I didn't just cut one heart. I cut out enough hearts to give her a note in her lunch every day for that summer. So that by the end of the summer, when we were engaged, she... <laughs> She finally could, 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 could be like, oh my goodness, this guy has literally wrote me a note every day of our relationship for four months. 
I was passionately in love with her. But if I can be real with you, the reality is I've been married now for eight and a half years. We have a kid, we have a dog, we've moved multiple times, had jobs, life has happened. And it's been quite a while since I've cut out heart-shaped pieces of paper that cost me a week's salary to tell her how much I love her. Because what happens is as we get to know someone and as they become familiar and as it's not so new and the the butterflies kind of subside, we'll start to lose our devotion and we start to lose our passion. And that's what God is saying to the people of Israel through Jeremiah. He's saying, I remember all the passion you had. You were so devoted to me. But then he goes on. In verse 13, and on the way down to verse 13, verses 8 through 12, he starts saying to them, but you've forgotten me. He reminds them that that he had brought them into a fruitful land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land where there was so much provision, they didn't have to worry about anything. Yet, he says, you've turned your back on me. And then look down at verse 13. He says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And so as you study Jeremiah chapter two, what you start to see is this picture of a people of God that were so passionately in love with God that they would cut out heart-shaped notes to God. Like they were over head over heels like that brand new car or, or like that sport that you are obsessed with or that person that you love. But over time, The familiarity set in and what once was so alive and so on fire and shining so bright and just like, God, you are so good, had dwindled and the fire was gone and the water had dried up and they had lost lost their passion. For those of you here tonight that uh, have been a follower of Christ for a long time, do you remember when you first met Jesus? Do you remember what it was like when you first met Jesus? Like that, that moment, maybe you met him in youth group or you met him here at Metro or you met him somewhere else and, and you responded to the salvation call and just said, God, I want to give you my life. I want to follow you. And then for like the next six months, you wouldn't shut up about it. I love hanging out with new believers. I love it because their passion is like no one else. I mean, you can be with them in the car and you're going to McDonald's and just trying to order a Big Mac and they roll down that window and that person says, how can I take you? order and they're like can I tell you what happened to me you're like dude we're just trying to order some food here but no they are so excited they can't wait to tell people about Jesus but if we were to go around this room I have to wonder how many of us could honestly say that we're still as passionate now as we were then why because as it became mundane and normal we've lost our passion. And for a lot of us, we've entered in to a place of passivity. So if you're taking notes today, I, I want to challenge you to write a few things down as we go through here. And I'm going to just talk through and tell you some stories. And my hope is that we can, by the time we leave here, define that we don't want to be passive. And then that we have a, a plan like, a, all right, God, we're going to come after you. And so here's the first thing you can write down is that passivity leads to disobedience. 
Turn with me over to James chapter 1, if you can. Uh, Let's look at James chapter 1, and we're going to start looking in verse 13. It says, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. But then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Passivity leads to disobedience. You see, the problem with us becoming passive is this. The more passive we become, the easier it is to become disobedient and open our lives up to sin. And sin breaks our relationship with God. I remember a time when I was a young pastor and I was praying and asking God to give me some direction about a situation in our church and things just were off, off kilter and just not, just out of order and just not going the way that I knew they were supposed to be going. And so I was spending some time praying one day and I just said, God, God, I need to know what is the issue here? Like, what am I supposed to do? I don't understand why are all these things happening? And I remember in that still small voice, the Holy Spirit just whispering to me and saying, DJ, You've grown passive in your leadership. You've grown passive in your relationship with me. You won't spend as much time with me as you spend making sure the chairs are in order for Sunday. You won't spend as much time with me as you do making sure that everything's in place and everything's working right in the building, but you are not spending time with me. And as you as the leader have not spent time with me, your passivity has led to disobedience in your life and the life of the people you lead. And in a lot of cases, that disobedience has led to sin. And the issue that you're dealing with is greater than what you think it is because the issue, the root of that issue is sin because you just quit passionately pursuing me. And that was a wake-up call for me. I mean, I was a pastor, and I'm like, whoa, God, this is not good. Like, I, I don't want to be disobedient. I, I don't want to I, I wanna fall into the trap of, of what the enemy sets for me. I, and, and how do I figure this out? And I remember reading through James and seeing that verse and going, oh, it's a pattern. Disobedience or temptation, we could call it, right? We're tempted to do something wrong. We're tempted just to look at that website for a few minutes, right? Because after all, I'm a guy and, you know, everyone does it. Or we're tempted to tell that person off because they don't go to my church anyways and they're never going to know what finger I held up on the way, right? Like, like we're, we're, we're tempted. Temptation is, is not sin, but temptation will push you towards sin if you don't try to stop it once you are tempted, And so what once was, well, maybe a casual look at a website or maybe one more drink or one more pill because it's not really going to hurt me. All of a sudden, that temptation becomes a desire in your life. And now you can't stop thinking about it. You can't stop thinking about when you get home and you can log on or taking that other drink. or, Or now you find yourself at a place where that desire has gotten you addicted. And now those addictions have caused patterns in your life of sin. And you come into church and you say, God, I don't understand why I can't hear you, why I can't feel you, why you're not working in my life. And God says, because your sin breaks my heart and has separated you from me. And unrepentant sin leads to death. That's heavy. 
That's heavy stuff because I know for myself and I'm sure for all of us here, we can look at areas of our life where we've grown passive and we've gone down the trail from disobedience to temptation, to desire, to sin. And some of us have experienced death. Maybe not physically, but you've experienced death in a marriage You've experienced death in a relationship. I don't know what the thing is for you. I, I don't know what addiction took you out or maybe sent you to prison or, or lost your family. But I'm sure if we were to go around here, we could all say that there's been times in our lives where we were so far away that our life was literally falling apart. And in other words, we were dead. And could it be that we're in that place because we're no longer passionately pursuing Jesus. You know, with disobedience, something else I'm learning is that disobedience is so much bigger than just major sin issues. Disobedience is the little things that God speaks to you and, and gives you these little prompts and you kind of feel like you hear God and he's saying, hey, go over and talk to that person. And you're like, I don't want to talk to that person. Like, no. And he's like, no, go talk to him. And then, and then, and then, and then you miss out an opportunity to impact someone else's life. This past November, I got a phone call on a uh, Wednesday afternoon, and my dad said, hey, you need to get up to the uh, senior center where grandma's living. She was on hospice and had been there for a while, but they said, you know, she's only got a few, a few hours to a few days at the most to live. And so I drove up there, and I walked into her room, and when I got into her room, I, I, I just felt like I want to pray for her because I want her to know Jesus because I don't know where she is completely. Like, I'm not sure if she, if she understands God. I, I had talked to her about God in the past, but she always, she always would, would kind of use little excuses. And my, my entire family are not believers except for my dad and, and us kids and my dad's side. And so I would talk to her about it and, and she would give me these little excuses. And so I just knew in my heart, she doesn't know Jesus. And now she's on her deathbed. And I am going to be so mad at myself if I let my grandma die and I don't get a chance to pray with her. So I said, grandma, can I pray with you? She said, no. That was humbling. I would love to tell you I respected my elder, but I didn't. I disrespected her. And I prayed under my breath. And I sat on the edge of her bed, and I just said, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know you got a way. And so I asked to, that you, tonight, somehow, some way, you'd get someone to, to talk to her about Jesus. And I left there and said my goodbyes to her and had some things to get to. And then that night I was driving to church. And as I was driving to church, I, I felt that prompting I was talking about where I just felt like God was like, hey, go do this. And I felt like God said, I don't want you to go to your church tonight. I want you to drive to this other church down the road where you don't know anybody and I want you to go there. And I said, well, that, that sounds great, God, but um, I'd really prefer to worship you at my own church, thanks. And so I drove to my own church because I don't always obey right away. And I got to my church parking lot and it wouldn't lift like that, that feeling of like that, 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 that hearing the voice of God saying, go down to the other church would not lift. And so reluctantly, I, after arguing with God, I said, okay, fine, I'll go over there, but this is really stupid, God. Anybody ever told God something was stupid? He can take it. I was, this, is, this is stupid, God. But okay, so I drive down to the other church and I pull in the parking lot and there's, there's like no one there. There's one car way out somewhere. So I drive out and I pull up and the guy rolls his window down and I said, Hey, uh, do you have a midweek service here? And he said, no, we, we actually don't. And I'm like, Oh, thanks God. Why am I here? And he goes, but we do have prayer. I th oh, okay. I guess God must want me to pray. And so I get out of the car and I walk into this church and no one talked to me. 
Like, not even the guy who talked to me in the parking lot. Like, no one gave me directions. It wasn't a church like this. There was no signage. There was, uh, it was a, literally a dark hallway where no one talked to me, and I had to find my way to this prayer chapel. And this is awkward, right? This is awkward, and I'm on a mission from God. Like, I'm going to do what God told me to do, even though I don't understand it. And so I, I, I get in there, and I sit down on the back row, and I say, all right, God, by this point, what, what, what do you need me to do? Turn around in circles? Like, I, I'm, I'm here. What do you want me to do? And I just heard him say, pray for your grandma's salvation. And so I knelt down and I began to pray for my grandma and just asking God, draw her to yourself. Somehow, someway, send someone in there that can share with her the love of Jesus and pray with her so that she can spend eternity with you. And after about a half hour, I, I got up and I left and I thought, I'm never going to tell anyone about this. This was the craziest thing. This is so dumb. This does not make sense. I don't understand. And about 4 a.m. the next morning, my phone rang, and my mom said that Grandma had died. And I laid in bed, and I thought, God, I don't get this. Like, I wanted to pray with her. She wouldn't let me pray. Like, then you sent me on this whole, like, chase last night. I don't get it. What, what is going on? And my phone rang again. It was my sister, and she said, hey, can you sleep? And I said, no, I'm laying here thinking about Grandma. And she said, yeah, me too. She goes, I got to tell you, the craziest thing happened to me last night. And I was like, <laughs> no, no, it, trust me. It can't be crazier than what happened to me. So let me hear it. And she goes, well, I was driving to my church. And at this point, I'm like, oh, no, no, no. You went to another church too. And, but she didn't. But she was driving to church. And my dad called and said that, you know, same thing he told me. Grandma wasn't doing well and she should probably go visit. And so she said, I called my husband and I said, hey, I, I don't feel like I'm supposed to come to church tonight. I feel like I'm supposed to go and visit my grandma. And so she went up to the senior home and walked in and she said to me, she goes, and what happened, I'm sure not just grandma heard, but everyone in the whole entire like center she lived in because she's a little hard of hearing. And my sister was like, I wanted to make sure that she knew what was about to happen. And so I said, grandma, can I pray for you? And she said, yes. Yeah, and my sister prayed with my grandma to receive Jesus, and she got done, and she said, Grandma, yeah, yeah, is that not awesome? She got done, and she said, Grandma, do you, did you understand that? And my grandma said, yeah, Jenny, I love you, and I love God. Amen. And those are the last words she said to my sister. Isn't that awesome? Now, now, here's what I want us to get. My disobedience, my arguing with God, may not have been a sin issue. And I'm not saying that God couldn't have had my sister still go there if I wasn't praying, but my sister was literally sitting with my grandma the exact same time that I was at that church praying. God was speaking something because he wanted to call someone else into his kingdom. But if I had said, no, I don't really have the relationship with you anymore where, where I really need to listen to you and I'd really rather be in my own church and I'd rather do my own thing, I can't stand here and tell you I know my grandma would be in heaven tonight. Because our disobedience, passivity, leads to disobedience. Another thing I'm learning about passivity is that passivity is not sustainable. We read the verse earlier, but look down at verse 13 again where Jeremiah is talking. And, and there's this one little word where he's going through and, he's, and God's telling the people through Jeremiah all these different things that they forgot him and, and they turned to other gods and all these things. But then at the end of verse 14, he says, you have dug your own cisterns. You know, I didn't know what a cistern was because I'm not real 
handy. And so I looked it up this week, and Dr. Google taught me what a cistern is. A cistern is actually a container that holds water. So it, it, it's a container that, that rainwater can come into, or you can put water through your hose, or sometimes it comes out of houses or whatever, but it holds water. But the difference with a cistern is that a cistern only holds the water and does not allow the water to flow. And what happens with a cistern is when water is put into it, if more water is not added to it, if more fresh water is not flowing into it, it begins to grow stale. It begins to get algae. It begins to dry up. Like literally, I learned this. Cisterns, like water in a cistern can actually dry up and be gone. And when God was talking to the people of Israel in Jeremiah chapter 2, he says, you've dug your own man-made cisterns, and they cannot sustain. Because when you put the water into a place where it can't flow, it's going to dry up. And you guys, passivity will do that to us on every level of our life. We can go from a place where we are on fire for Jesus, where we are at the church. Every time the doors are open, we can't wait to get here. We're, we're not just here for one service. We're here for four services. Like, we got to be here. We got to worship. Like, we got to come in and we can't wait to be here. And we can go to a place where we're so dry that we come in and we're just like, oh, I didn't really like that song. That pastor's outfit wasn't really my taste, right? I, I, I don't really feel like going to church anymore. You guys, your relationship with Jesus is one that should be so intimate and so flowing with the fresh water of his word and his Holy Spirit that when you come into church, you can't help but get your hands up and say, God, I need you. I want you. I need you to fill me up so I can be poured back out. I need your word. I need to hear from you. I need breakthrough in my life. I need whatever you've got for me because you are good and I choose to put you first. But passivity will not do that because it's not sustainable and you will dry up. Hmm. The last thing that you could write down tonight is that passivity forfeits your peace. I remember a time when I was growing up, and I told you I was a keyboard player, and so I, I was sitting down at our piano and I just started to play. <laughs> like that, she is so good. That was not planned, that's amazing. So sitting down, I couldn't play that good, but I was starting to play, and I was, I was trying to learn a song for youth group that night, and I'm like, Lord, I give you my heart. But my, my brother, um, had a little obsession with Kelly Clarkston and my parents had gotten him this new stereo and for some reason it wasn't in his room it was in the living room don't ask me why because it interrupted my worship and so I'm sitting over there playing and my brother <laughs> starts blaring Kelly Clarkston so I'm over here Lord I give you my heart trying to figure out the chords and my brother's like since you've been God <laughs> and I, I, I'd like to tell you that I responded like a loving Christian 
but I got up and I grew up with brothers and I don't know if you grew up with brothers you just understand this I got up and I smashed him to the ground so hard his head hit the edge of the piano and he starts screaming at me like I hate you I can't believe you and so instead of being a nice again good Christian brother and saying oh buddy I'm so sorry I hurt you I sat back down at the piano and said Lord I give you my heart and ignored the chaos at my feet but it's a funny story that I had to repent for later. But the reality is, when you become passive in your faith, you forfeit peace. The reality is, I couldn't have been at a place in my faith at that moment where God really meant everything to me because my obsession with my keyboard ability to play would have, would have been outweighed or would not have been outweighed by caring for my brother. But see, what happens when we grow passive is we lose our peace. Look down at verse 26. He talks a little about being disgraced, and he says, As a thief is disgraced when he is caught, so the people of Israel are disgraced. Have you ever become something you didn't want to become? Have you ever done something that you didn't want to do? Have you ever thought, what the heck am I doing with my life? It's actually a, a feeling and a place of feeling disgraced. But then he goes on and he begins to make some crazy analogies about how far away they had fallen from God. In verse 32, he says, Does a young woman forget her jewelry and a bride her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. How skilled you are at pursuing love. Even the worst of women can learn from your ways. In other words, he says, look, we're really good at pursuing what we want. You want money, you go after money. You want sex, you go after sex. You want a relationship, you go after the relationship. You get a dream, you go after that dream and no one can stop you. And the people that try to stop you, you call them the haters, right? I know, I've been there. But he says, you have pursued everything except for me, who is peace. And then I come before God and I say, God, I don't know why I'm so anxious. And I, I don't know why I'm worrying all the time. And I don't know why there's no peace in my home. And there's just so much chaos all around me. And I don't understand it. And God says, because you've grown passive. And your passivity has forfeited peace. Jump down to Jeremiah chapter 3 as we wrap this up. So my question for us is will you pursue God and not pursue everything else before him? Look at Jeremiah 3 verse 12. He declares, return faithless Israel. I will frown on you no longer for I am faithful declares the Lord, and I'll not be angry forever. Guys, hear me. We know how to pursue everything in our life, but a lot of times as people that maybe are new to the faith or people that have been in the church your entire life, we burn out on our pursuit of God, and then we don't understand why our life is falling apart. And if I can call us to one thing tonight, it's this. Will you pursue God? 
Will you run after God with all of your heart? Will you go after God and say, God, I can't do it on my own anymore. I can't keep trying because everything's falling apart around me. And I realize, I realize that I've gone from disobedience to temptation, to desire, to, to sin. And now things around me are dead. And I don't want to live this way anymore. But I want to pursue you, Metro. Will you pursue God? Let me pray for us tonight as we close. God, I thank you for every person under the sound of my voice. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would walk up and down these aisles and across these rows. And God, if there's any place in any of our hearts where we have grown passive, would you convict us tonight? And would you call us back to you? God, you're so good because you tell us if we return to you, you will return to us. Your word says that if we come near to you, you will come near to us. It says that if we seek you, we will find you. If we seek you with all of our heart, if we seek you passionately, if we seek you like a young guy pursuing a girl with heart-shaped notes kind of seek, God, like going after you with, a, with just an unabandoned passion that says it doesn't matter what anyone around me thinks, I love Jesus and I want only him to be my peace and to sustain my life. And so God, I pray tonight that you would do what you do so well. Speak to us, challenge us, show us and give us the strength to pursue you every single day of our lives. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.